All right, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And for those who want to be faster than their app counterpoints, you could just find your Bible, crack it in half, and you're probably there in the book of Proverbs. Verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, do we still say Happy New Year 10 days in? We're 10 days into the new year. Uh, but I don't know about you, as Steve was just saying, with the extension of the lockdown, with uh, all this going on in the United States, I think I'm done with my 30-day free trial of 2021. Cash it in for a different year. Uh, but of course, we cannot do that. Uh, this is the world that we live in. This is the world that we need to learn how to live in. And it is for that exact reason that I want to begin this new series now through the book of Proverbs, through the big themes in the book of Proverbs, because this book can help enable us to know how to live in the world in which we find ourselves. New Year's resolutions are great. Uh, goals for the new year are really great, but what we really need at this exact moment in time is wisdom. Wisdom to know how to navigate all the complexities of this world. We need it on all kinds of different levels. Think, for instance, may maybe you're saying to yourself, all right, in the beginning of this new year, I I'd like to be a better parent. That's your, your goal. That's great. That's a wonderful goal. Uh, but if you're a parent, you know that raising kids is not simple. What you need more than just a goal is you need wisdom to know how to navigate the many complex situations that you find yourself in as you parent your kids. Or maybe you have a goal this year to improve your relationships. That's a great and worthy goal. But we also know that friendships, family dynamics, workplace dynamics, all these things can be very messy, and they're especially messy, I think, now with all the controversies and difficulties around COVID, with all that's going on around politics. What we need more than just a goal having, of having good relationships is wisdom to navigate all the different dynamics that come with our relationships, whether they be at work or whether they're in our families. Or one more, maybe you have a goal this year to say, I, I don't want to get angry so much and so often. Again, a very worthy goal. But you need more than goals. What you need to understand is your own heart. Why do I get angry? What, how can I more effectively deal with situations and relate better with people? In other words, what you need is wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to navigate through the the many complex situations in life and to be able to do it with skill, not just bruising your way through like a bull in a china shop. No, wisdom is knowing how to navigate it with a tremendous amount of skill. And I don't know about you, but this is what we need. This is what I need. 
And it's for this reason I want us to look at the book of Proverbs because there's probably no better place to go. The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. This is like really the theme of the book. So from today all the way up to probably just a few weeks after Easter, I want to begin this journey through Proverbs. Not like We can't approach it like we do normally. We just kind of work our way through a book. If you've read Proverbs, you know you can't really do that. So what I want to do is to talk about the big themes and hit on some of the big markers uh, about what Proverbs teaches us concerning wisdom. So today as we introduce the book, I want to shape today's message around three questions. First of all, I just want to ask, what is wisdom? Let's define this, understand it. Secondly, how does Proverbs teach us wisdom? And then finally, we're going to begin this journey of wisdom. I'm going to ask, how do we begin on this journey of wisdom? Where do we start on this whole thing? And so, that's where we're going to go today. You ready to try and learn a little bit of wisdom? I need it. I think we all need it as we enter into 2021. So let's get started on this journey, and I'll simply begin with this question to get us going. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Look with me at verse 2. Well, look at 1 and 2. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Why is he writing this? He writes it to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. So this book is the collection of the Proverbs of King Solomon. He's the one that writes most of them, so his name is at the top of the book. But there's other wise men that also write these Proverbs for us. Why are these all written down and collected into the book that we call Proverbs? As he says, that we might know wisdom. So what is wisdom? Let me give you a a working definition, but I'll tell you right up front, it's missing a key element that I'm going to add later on. But let's get started. Here's a working definition. Wisdom is the skill of navigating the complexities of daily life. It's the skill of navigating the complexities of daily life. Now notice right off the top, it's a skill. In other words, you are not born with it. I am not born with it. It's something that we need to grow into. And that's why if you look at verse 2, it says we need to receive instruction. Verses 3 and 4 say we need to increase in knowledge and learning. And and right away, this is really good news for us because, listen, Proverbs sets the bar low. Sometimes it's good to set the bar low, isn't it? Proverbs sets the bar low because it says we're all beginners. We all start off as simple, maybe as naive, as ignorant. Now, we don't like hearing that about ourselves, but this is why this is actually good news. What Proverbs is saying is that as soon as you drop your pride and admit that you need to grow in wisdom, you're already on the right path. You're you're already there. The bar is low. It's not some way up here. Well, if you want to be wise, you've got to start at this level. No, Proverbs says as soon as you begin to say, I need wisdom, you're already on the right path. As soon as you say, I'm not, I don't have everything figured out, you're already on the right path. Now, this is especially true if you're a young person. The book of Proverbs is for everyone, but it is particularly written for those who are young. It's a father speaking to his son, and I mean young as in probably you're about 11, 12 years old, all the way up to say 30. You're within your young years. This book is particularly written for you to teach you how to live a wise life. And if you're young, just look at some of the adults around you. 
I don't mean this to be mean, but I'm just being really honest, adults. Young people, have you not seen how many adults have made a complete mess of their lives because they've made very poor decisions in their lives? I know none of you want to grow up to be that, and that is precisely why Proverbs is written, for young people to say, look, I don't, the father's saying to his son, I don't want you to blow up your life. I don't want you to go down a path that's going to destroy you. Let me show you the path of wisdom. Look at all these bad examples. Learn from it and learn to walk the path of wisdom. This book can save you a tremendous amount of pain if you will begin when you're young to say, I want to learn what it means to live wisely. That's why verse 4 says this, the book of Proverbs is meant to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. I kind of got a chuckle out of that because I was like, how many 11-year-olds know what discretion means? So we got to define these words, right? Discretion, the ability to understand the difference between one thing and another, what's a good choice and what's a poor choice. Proverbs is written that young people might grow in their knowledge and their discretion to know how to live. But it's not just for young people. It's for everyone. Even the most wise among us can continue to grow in wisdom. That's why verses 5 and 6 say this. Let the wise hear and increase, that's the word, increase in their learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So it's also for the, it's for the young, also for the wise, that they might continue to grow in it. So wisdom then, just at the most base level, it's a skill. It's something that we need to learn. It's something that we need to master. But do not confuse wisdom with just being really smart, with knowing a lot of facts, or having a high IQ. Let me put it to you this way. Wisdom most certainly includes practical knowledge, absolutely. But wisdom is far more, far more than just knowing facts. I mean, imagine if your brain just had a direct line to the Google search engine. You would then be able to know more facts and understand more knowledge than anyone else in the entire world. But if you would know all that, would you be wise? Not necessarily. You might know every fact in the universe, but it does not follow that just because you know a lot of facts and have a very high IQ, that you are also wise. There is a distinction between them. Wisdom is a little bit more like what we call today EQ than IQ. Have you heard of EQ before? It stands for emotional intelligence. So it's not just facts and brain smart, genius kind of stuff like we talk about. EQ, emotional intelligence, is something different. People who are emotionally intelligent know how to read a situation. They know how to empathize with other people. People with high emotional intelligence know how much to talk and how much to listen in order that they can navigate a conversation and a relationship well. People with high EQ can discern how they're coming across in a situation. In other words, experts also tell us, psychologists and such, they tell us that career success and success in relationships to big areas of life actually depend far more on EQ than on IQ. 
And I think you can see why this is so important in life. EQ is a pretty good, it's not a complete, but a pretty good description of what wisdom is. It's a skill that you can navigate through the complexities that you face in everyday life. But let's say one more thing about what wisdom is. Wisdom includes being morally good. Oh, yes, it does. But it is far more than just following the rules. Wise people do, or or, or we should say wise people are morally good, but they also know what to do when there are no rules for the specific situation. So look at verse 3, for instance. This is what he says. The book of Proverbs is given in order to receive instruction in wise dealing, and now look at these next words, in righteousness, that is in right living before God, in justice, pretty important topic in today's world, and in equity, to know how to treat such people fairly, properly. This is what wisdom involves. So it most certainly involves being morally good, but it's also about more than that. In Proverbs, uh, we see this all the time. Yes, Proverbs is going to say, if you want to be wise, you need to hear what God's good rules are for us. He's the one who created us. He knows how we work best. You need to follow them. That's part of wisdom. But there are moment, many moments in life when there is no rule. Lots of Bible verses telling you that you should not commit adultery against your spouse. But there's no Bible verse that tells you who to marry. That requires wisdom. There's Bible verses that tell you you're not to be lazy, that you are to work and earn your living so that you can eat. But there's no Bible verse that tells you which job you should take. No Bible verse that tells you, should you stay with your job in Victoria? Should you move somewhere else? That requires wisdom. There is no verse in the Bible that tells you whether you should confront your, your, somebody in your family or maybe someone in your workplace. Maybe they said something that's offended you. There's no verse that says whether you should confront that situation or whether you should let that one pass by because it would only make it a whole lot worse. There's no verse that tells you exactly what to do with that specific situation. That requires wisdom. And yet, in all these areas I just mentioned, choosing a marriage partner, uh, your job, uh, how you deal with conflict, all of those situations, if you make a wrong decision, it could be disastrous for your life. You could literally blow up your life by making a wrong decision in one of these things. And so wisdom then, this is why we need it, wisdom is knowing what to do when there is no clear rule. So put all this together now, everything we've said so far about wisdom. What we're saying and what Proverbs is saying is it's not good enough in life to just be really intellectually smart. It's great if you are, but it's not good enough. It's also not good enough to just be morally good. That's really important to follow what God says. Those are important, but if you don't have wisdom to go with them, you're going to be on the wrong track. And that's because really think of rules. I mean, 80% of life, let's just make a number on that. 80% of life is trying to make decisions when maybe there is no clear rule, what you should do in each and every situation. And if you don't make the right decision, you really can blow up your life. In the same way, 
Just because you have lots of knowledge and you have a high IQ, maybe you're even a genius, it doesn't necessarily follow that you're wise. We, of course, live in the most knowledgeable, the smartest generation in the history of the world. We might not have Google attached to our brains, but unlike anyone else in the history of the world, we can just pull our phones out of our pocket and look up just about any fact that we want. We know more or have access to more information than anyone else in the history of the world, but it does not follow that we are therefore wise. And it's wisdom that enables us to live life properly, to to find success in relationships, and to not blow up our lives. It's something we must learn over time. So here's where we begin in this first point, and let's all just begin here. Are we willing then to drop our pride and to just say, I am a beginner. I do not have all of life all figured out. I need wisdom. Are we ready to pursue it by looking into the book of Proverbs and learning what wisdom is? Will you right now just commit in your heart, just say before God, okay, at the beginning of this whole series, God, I just want to say I want to become a wise person. Teach me what it means to be wise. Say that in your own heart, even as we finish this first point. That brings us to the second question then, which is this. How does Proverbs, this book of Proverbs, how does it teach us wisdom? Well, look with me at verses 1 and 2 again. The very first line says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, so that we might know wisdom. So this whole book is about what we call Proverbs. The book is called Proverbs, but the book also includes what we call Proverbs. So we've got to make that kind of distinction before we can even continue. So what are Proverbs? Let's get that clear. Let's start just in English, and then we'll move to what the Bible talks about as terms of Proverbs. In English, a proverb, we don't use this saying a lot, but we might say it's a wise saying. A proverb is really a short and a pithy saying that contains wisdom for all those kind of practical situations in life. So let me give you some examples. I love to go cliff jumping with my kids uh, at lakes in summertime. We've got to make sure as a parent, I've got to make sure my kids stay safe when we do something like that. And so I repeat a proverb to them all the time. Can you think what it might be? Look before you leap. Look before you leap. That's a proverb. In fact, I'd say, let's go dive down underneath and make sure there's nothing there either. Look before you leap is a proverb. My financial advisor likes to talk about Proverbs. There's a certain proverb he always likes to throw out, and I'm sure you've heard this one before. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. This past fall and past summer, my dad and I uh, built a backyard office for me, a detached little office in my backyard. My dad is a skilled builder. I am a novice. He's the wise one. I am the beginner. And he repeated one proverb over and over and over and over and over again. Do you know what proverb that might be when you're building? He'd always say, measure twice, cut once. Measure twice, cut once. Now, where do sayings like this come from? And why do wise people always repeat them continually to novices, to beginners, to young people? Where do they come from? 
Well, clearly they arise because certain bad things keep happening in life and they keep happening to people and they can bring disaster into their life. And so we create these little sayings, these little proverbs, because we want to help people to become wise so they will not bring destruction into their lives. And so wise people who are farther ahead in life teach those who are more beginners, who are younger, repeating these proverbs to say, learn wisdom because I want you to have a good life. We all know then, of course, there are people, many people, sadly too many, who have not looked before they've leaped and have died. We all know people, hopefully it's not you, (coughs) but maybe it is, who have put all their money into one investment and it was a bad investment and they've lost everything. And we all, if you've been on a construction site, far too many boards have not been measured correctly. Then they've been cut and that board has to be thrown away. We come up with these proverbs to instruct the young, the novice, the naive, and even the experienced to repeat to the experienced, don't forget that you never leave this behind. You must be wise. This is how you live wisely. That's why we come up with all these little proverbs. So the book of Proverbs then is a collection of all kinds of these little individual Proverbs. If you've never read the book before, (coughs) excuse me, if you've never read the book before, can I get a drink, Steve? (coughs) Sorry about that, something's stuck down there. Thank you. Wisdom says you should bring a bottle of water (coughs) up to the pulpit so you don't have to ask for one. (coughs) If you've never read the book of Proverbs before, (coughs) or if you have read it, you know that the first 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs are kind of like any other Bible reading where you can (coughs) read a few chapters at once. You can kind of quickly work your way through. From chapters 10 to 31, though, it's very different. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of these short little pithy sayings that we call Proverbs. And so you can't really read that, you know, you can't read five chapters of those at once. So we have all kinds of these little examples. Let me just give you one example out of these hundreds. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That's a typical sounding proverb. It's two lines. The first line usually makes the main point, and the second line often restates the same thing, but in a different way. So it's a short little saying meant to instruct you in how to be wise. And the book of Proverbs, from chapters 10 to 31, are a large collection of hundreds of these. So what I want to do right now is to talk to you and to help you so that you can learn how you should read an individual proverb like this one and then how you should not read it. This is really important so that you can get the most out of the book of Proverbs and will be rightly on the path of wisdom. So here's the first thing I want to ask then. How should you read an individual proverb? How should you do this? And here's the answer that I want to give you. Read each proverb like you eat a hard candy. You know what I mean by that? Like a Werther's or something? Read an individual proverb like you eat a hard candy. So when you put a hard candy into your mouth, like a Werther's, for instance, here's what you don't do. You should not, or you don't usually do this anyways, bite down really hard on it, quickly crush it all up, and then swallow all the sharp pieces. You don't do that, and if you do, you'll get a tiny bit of sweetness out of it, but you might break your tooth, 
you're not going to really enjoy it, and you might even choke on it or scratch your throat. Here's another thing that you don't do, except by accident. You don't unwrap a Werther's, put it in your mouth, and swallow it whole. You do that, you're going to get none of the sweetness sweetness out of it, and you might even choke on it. Now, think about the book of Proverbs. A lot of people, when they try to read the book of Proverbs, read it like trying to read, say, two or three chapters of all these Proverbs, endless proverb after endless proverb. That is like trying to swallow like 10 or 15 hard candies in a row. That's why you kind of like, oh, it's so hard to read the book of Proverbs. It's because you're trying to swallow hard candies. Or other people, maybe you, you just read a proverb, you spend like two seconds on it, you go the next proverb, you spend like 30 seconds on it. That's kind of like putting a hard candy in your mouth, chewing it up really fast, and swallowing it really fast. You'll get a little bit out of it, but you're kind of missing the whole point on how you're supposed to do it. When you read a proverb, you need to eat it like you eat a hard candy, slowly putting it around in your mouth, turning it over, and then here's specifically what I'm saying. Ask yourself at least three questions about each proverb. Here's the three questions. First, what kind of moments in life gave rise to this proverb? So think about the background on it. Why, if this is, proverbs come about because so many bad things happen to so many people, why would this saying come about? Think of the situations in your mind. Once that's clear, then ask yourself, when is such a moment likely to happen in my life? Then once you ponder those situations, ask, what does this proverb teach me about acting wisely in such a moment? So ponder through those kind of questions. So let's just do that quickly right now. Let's bring up Proverbs 19.11 back on the screen. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So instead of just reading that and going, got it. On to the next one, Proverbs 19, 12. No, sit on it. What kind of moments gave rise to a proverb like this? I can think of a thousand of them. I mean, where, where have we seen people who are quick to anger destroying relationships? Oh, but how many examples could we give? It could be endless. People who are just quick to anger and they wreck everything and then they can never look and overlook an offense. They have to just smash you for every tiny thing you do wrong. They can just never let anything rest. They're always in your face. I think that's where a proverb like this would come up is, We've seen too many examples of people blowing up relationships by being quick to anger and having to confront absolutely everything that goes on. So you're pondering on that. When is such a moment likely to happen in my life? Well, probably just about every day. Whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, whatever it may be, there's many opportunities where your anger is going to begin to be kindled. Is it going to be slow? Or is it going to be just quick? Boom, you cross me, bam, you're going to get it. Third question, what does this teach me about acting wisely in such a moment? Wisdom, this proverb is saying to me, okay, slow it down. You've got to be slower to anger. You can't just blow up all the time. You're going to wreck all your relationships if you do that. And this one's huge. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. In other words, don't make a big deal about everything. Yes, maybe what that person said didn't come across with the right tone. Yes, maybe their words were not well chosen. Maybe they were even too cutting and they never should have said it. Wisdom would say there are moments when you should just overlook it and move on. You don't need to confront someone over absolutely everything that goes on or you're going to cause disaster in your relationships. So what do we do? Just like one minute there? meditating on that candy, putting that candy in your mouth, turning it around. Imagine what you could do with five minutes if you just sat there, 
taking that proverb in your mouth, so to speak, like a hard candy, turning it over, drawing it out, drawing out some more of the sweetness. That is how we learn wisdom. That is how we read Proverbs. So read individual Proverbs, such as this one, like you eat a hard candy. And here's a suggestion for you. This is just my suggestion from my uh, trying to eat too many candies the wrong way. In other words, reading Proverbs and not getting enough out of it over the years. I no longer can read Proverbs 10 to 31, just in like stretches like I do with my Bible reading, reading multiple chapters a day. So I tried for a while because there's 31 chapters. Billy Graham said he would always read one chapter each day with his Bible reading because there's 31, so you get through Proverbs every single month. I tried that. Honestly, it didn't quite work for me either. A whole chapter seemed too much. So here's my new practice that I'm trying. Read chapters 1 to 10 like any other Bible reading. Then from chapters 10 on, I go at the end of my other Bible reading and just read one, two, maybe three Proverbs and spend time doing the questions that we just went through and meditating on it. Maybe it's just one. In other words, I always have Proverbs on the go. This is a new practice, so we'll see how this works. Uh, I always have Proverbs on the go, and I'm, but I'm trying to get more of the sweetness out of each of the Proverbs so I can truly learn wisdom. Because honestly, I don't retain it. I can't just read a whole chapter of these and think I'm going to walk away with too many of them. So that's my suggestion for you as well. Give some time to meditate on how to read Proverbs. So that's how you should read a proverb. Now two quick things on how you should not read a proverb. So this is the question then, how you, how sh- you should not, oh, that shouldn't be a question, now it's a statement and a question. I got bad grammar on my PowerPoint, sorry about that. I'm asking about how should you not read a single proverb as a statement? That's what we're going to talk about now. First of all, don't read every proverb as a promise. Don't read every proverb as a promise. They are wise sayings, which means they're true most of the time, but they're not necessarily promises. Some of them are, but not all of them. For instance, many Christian parents uh, have raised their kids in the ways of Christ, but then their kids grow up and they become adults, and they're not following Christ at all. And so parents sometimes will struggle with that, and they'll say, but God promised us. He promised us in Proverbs 22, verse 6, that if we train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a promise. No, it's not. It's part of wisdom literature. Proverbs is a wisdom book. Wisdom is not about promises per se, but about best practices. This is how you should live a wise life. So what that proverb is saying is, it's the calling of parents to be diligent with their kids, especially when they're young, to teach them the ways of Christ, to teach them and train them up in this. And generally speaking, if you do this, God will take all that you've used and he will use it to draw them to himself. But it's not necessarily a promise that just because you do that, it guarantees a child's salvation. There's a lot more factors at play, but this is wise counsel for any parent who wants their kids to grow up and follow Christ. That's the first way not to read it. Don't read it as a promise. Secondly, don't read an individual proverb as applying to every situation in life. Taking one proverb, like the one we looked at in Proverbs 19.11, saying, this is the proverb for all things to do with anger and communication. No, it's one piece of wisdom, but there are many other proverbs on anger, on humility, on the tongue, how you should use it. There's many. You've got to bring them all together. So a single proverb does have enough wisdom in it to be able to be applied broadly, 
but it doesn't always apply to every single case. Wisdom is the ability to distinguish when it applies and when it doesn't. For instance, here's one that we all need to think on today. You're on social media. Someone says something on social media that you just think, that is the most foolish thing I have ever heard in my life. It gets your back up and you want to respond. Here's the question. Should you? Listen to Proverbs 24, 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Okay? That sounds, so, so, so we shouldn't respond. Oh, but wait, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Wait, what? Which one is it? Uh, we're supposed to answer or we're not supposed to answer? See, if you're just looking for rules in life, you're not going to know what to do. Wisdom says, okay, there's some general rules on how I should respond, but wisdom is the ability, it's the skill to know when is the some, somebody who you know, is this person worth responding to, or is this going to only cause further problems? You've got to ponder on both of these. You've got to take those candies in your mouth and really try to figure them out. Wisdom knows what to do in each and every situation. Again, there's no rule that says whether you should or should not. You need to learn to become wise. All right, so that's how Proverbs teaches us wisdom, by teaching us these little single pithy Proverbs. We've talked about how we should read them, how we should not read them. I hope by now you're saying, okay, I need to learn how to be wise. I can see how this applies all the way across the board. I want to learn wisdom, now how do I do that? Well, if you want to grow in wisdom, then let's consider this third and final question. Let's begin the process today. Here's the final question. How should we begin our pursuit of wisdom? Where should we start in all of this? You want to become wise, where should you start? As I mentioned earlier, there is one piece of that definition of wisdom that I ha I've left out until now. And now is the time to add it, and it's actually the most important piece of our definition of wisdom. If you want to be wise, then the book of Proverbs says there is only one place to start. And if you don't start here, you'll go wrong right away. It'd be like taking the wrong road at the beginning of your journey instead of the right road. It doesn't matter how far you go down it, you're always on the wrong road. You need to start in the right place, on the right path, or you'll never become a wise person. So where should you begin? Well, verse 7 is the thesis statement of the whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. This word beginning, it doesn't just mean starting point that then you leave behind. It means a starting point that is always with you. It's like an all-controlling principle. It's where you begin and it stays with you the whole time. <clears throat> Think of it maybe like the alphabet. If you want to become, let's say, an author, great. You, let's say you write the best book in the history of the world. Every author still has to begin somewhere. They've got to begin by learning the alphabet when they are young. And do they ever leave the alphabet behind? Never. All they do is become more skilled in the way that they can put 
letters together, to create words, to create phrases, to put things around that will connect with people. You never leave the alphabet behind, but you must begin with the alphabet if you want to become an author. In the same way, this verse is saying to us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the all-controlling principle, the starting place, and the way that we must go along the whole way if we want to learn knowledge and if we want to learn wisdom. So now the obvious question is, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Lots of confusion on this, so we need to take just a little time to unpack this. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, to fear, obviously, we use that word, we mean to be afraid. But in what sense are we to be afraid? I'll just say right off the top, this does not mean that we are to run away in terror from God. It does not mean that you're always afraid that God is going to strike you down with a lightning bolt or something like that. We know that, for instance, because in Psalm 130 and verse 4, it says that when a person's sins are forgiven them by God, it increases their fear of God. Think about that. If you've done something wrong to someone and you feel terrible about it and then you come to them and you say, I'm really sorry, and they embrace you and they say, I forgive you. You are forgiven. Do you in that moment go, ah, I'm scared of a few. I'm going to run away in terror from you. I'm afraid you're going to hit. That's not what you do. That's... So how then does forgiveness increase the fear of God? It clearly cannot mean terror. It cannot be being afraid of being hit or something like that. Or you wouldn't do that when, when you're forgiven. You don't move away from the person who is forgiving you. You move closer to them. So what do we mean then by the fear of God? What are we afraid of? Well, think of it like this. Imagine that you get to meet someone whom you greatly admire. We all have, maybe it's in your field of expertise, maybe you're a musician, it's some great artist, some great author, I don't know, sports figure, somebody whom you just are absolute awe of, your hero in life. If you were to meet that person, what, what would end up happening in that moment? I mean, you maybe have to shake their hand and your palm would be sweaty. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be fumbling a little bit with your words. You'd be sweating. You'd be like a little short on breath. What, what's going on in that moment? Well, what's going on in that moment is you are afraid you're not being afraid of being punished. That's not what's going on there. It's not a, being afraid as in you're, you're terrified and you feel like running away. You aren't feeling terror. No, you're afraid of what? Saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, and why? Because you hold this person in such high regard. You're in such awe of this person that that is the fear that comes into your heart. So just as a funny little aside, but still on point, it makes me think of the time when I met one of my heroes. Oh, yes, embarrassing moment story here for you. One of my favorite pastors, one of my great heroes in life, a man named John Piper. Many of you know him, author, pastor. Uh, he spoke at a conference that I attended. And then after the conference, uh, myself and some others, we were in the airport. We were getting ready to head back uh, to our home. And I'm walking through the airport, and all of a sudden, John Piper is walking towards me. So if you don't care about John Piper, you just substitute somebody in your own mind whom you just like are really in awe. He's walking towards us. He's like 30 feet away, and I recognize him. I, I'm thinking, he's going to walk right past us. Like, this is my chance to meet John Piper. But in that moment, all of a sudden, I just started to get a little overwhelmed, and I don't know what happened to my brain, but I just got all nervous, and just suddenly, he's like 15 feet away, and I just 
point at him and I blurt out, hey, it's John Piper. Why? Why would you say such a stupid thing? And of course, he just walks by and he kind of goes, hey. I'm like, oh my goodness, did I ever just blow that situation? Maybe you've had moments like that in life. They're just so embarrassing. But what's going on in that moment? You're in awe of somebody. It's a fear that's in you to say or do the wrong thing. But it's not a fear of terror. It's not a fear of being punished. It's a fear that is motivated by joyful admiration. There's a kind of fear that is a mingling of gladness and awe. That's the kind of fear of God. That's where it begins. Proverbs is saying that wisdom begins when you come to grips with this fact and when you experience one great fact about this universe that should impact every single area of your life. And that great fact is that God exists. That God exists. Since wisdom means learning how to navigate the complex realities of life, it follows that you must understand reality itself in order to become wise. And at the very fundamental level of all reality is God himself. Wisdom begins when you learn who God is, when you encounter Him, when you see who He really is, and you are so in awe of Him, you are so glad in Him, so much joy, so much reverence, you cannot believe who this being is. When you encounter God like that, that is the beginning of what it means to fear God. All this makes me think of Kenneth Graham's famous classic book, The Wind in the Willows. And the animals in the book, mole and rat, are drawn to an island where they think the god of their world is and they might get to encounter this god. And so rat says this. He says, here in this holy place, here if anywhere, surely we shall find him. Then suddenly the mole felt a great awe fall upon him, an awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head, and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. But it was an awe that smote and held him. And without seeing, he knew it could only mean that some august presence was very, very near. And then they catch a glimpse of the God, and they're completely awestruck. And here's what we read next. Mole says, Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking. Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, oh mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads and did worship. The fear of the Lord in the very first place is when you begin to understand there is a creator and that you are not him. When you begin to see who this God is and it fills your heart with a deep sense of awe and who he is, especially in comparison to yourself. 
I think a lot of Christians have understood that pretty well over the years. When often people say, we need more fear of the Lord in this place, usually what they mean is, we need a greater sense of God, of awe. And that's true, but that's not where the fear of the Lord ends. In fact, that's just the beginning place. The fear of the Lord, if you really want to understand it, means that, that, that God and His existence affects every single area of your life. Wisdom means that you are afraid but you are afraid of ever offending this God. Positively, you only want to please Him. Here's one of the great biblical examples in Exodus chapter 1. You remember, if, if you know this story, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, commanded that the Israelite midwives kill every single baby boy that was born. So these midwives talk about difficult situation. To know how to wisdom, how to navigate all of this, what do you do? So Exodus 1.17 says this, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. These women needed wisdom to navigate a very difficult situation, but their starting point and their all-controlling principle as they thought it, thought it through was, there is a God in heaven. And we are very afraid to ever offend this God. We must do whatever this God says, no matter what happens to us. So I'm sure they were afraid of Pharaoh, but they were afraid of something much bigger. They were afraid that they would ever displease the creator of heaven and earth. And so the fear of God led them to do what was right, even if it meant defying the most powerful man in the world at the time. So, put this all together. What is the fear of God? Here, listen to Old Testament scholar Walter Kaiser. He writes this. This fear is not an attitude of terror or dread. It is instead a commitment of the total being to trust and believe the living God. The one who fears God dreads nothing more than God's disfavor. Such a worshiper wants nothing more than to know the living God intimately and to submit to his will. So how do we get this fear of God? This is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. How do we get this sense of awe that we then know how to live rightly? There's one final piece that we need to talk about in what it means to fear God that's the most critical piece. We can get these first two, but if you don't get this last one, you don't really understand what the fear of the Lord is really all about. Here's the key point. Yes, you need to know that God exists. Yes, you need to know that God's existence should be the determining factor in everything. But fearing God also means in the final place, being in a personal relationship with Him. A personal relationship. I want you to notice something very carefully here. Proverbs 1.7 does not say the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Does not say that. Do you have a Bible in front of you? Does it say the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge? No, it does not. What does it say? Here is what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now you're saying, okay, what's the big point here? Maybe you don't, aren't aware of this, but this is a very important thing to understand when you're reading your Bible. When you're reading the Bible, and this will be only in the Old Testament, when you see Lord capitalized like that, if it was capital L with lowercase O-R-D, it would mean a title like master, like, you know, Lord so-and-so. 
But that's not what this means. When you see Lord capitalized, what you are seeing there is the the proper name, the personal name of the God of heaven and earth. The name that God revealed to Moses when he wanted, get this, to enter into a covenant relationship with the people of Israel. God gave Moses his name, and his name is Yahweh. The I am who I am. And so there's a whole history of why we do this in our translations. But this is the I am who I am. This is Yahweh. And, and I would personally suggest to you that whenever you read your Bible and you see it capitalized, I would say always in your head say Yahweh. I, I do this all the time. I never read Lord without translating it as Yahweh because in my mind I cannot escape thinking that Lord just is a title. But I need to hear the name of God. I need to hear the name of God because of what it reveals about him. When God revealed his name to Moses saying, he is I am who I am, which means Yahweh, what he was saying was, I am the self-existent being. Unlike us, God does not need anything or anyone to exist. He has life in himself. He exists on his own. Oh, that's very different from us. I need air, I need water, I need food. He does not need anything. He is the self-existent being. But it doesn't just mean he's self-existent. God gave his name to Moses when he wanted to enter into a covenant relationship with him and with the people of Israel, saying, I will, promising, I will be with you and I will be for you. God promised he would rescue Israel out of slavery. So God's name then is wrapped up in the fact that he is with us and he is for us. So Yahweh means the self-existent God who is with us and who is for us. That's why I need to read the name of God. I need to hear it. I need to remind myself of his name because his name is what creates the proper fear in me. He is not just some great and powerful God. No, he is the great self-existent God, but he is with us and he is for us. And this is, friends, seen supremely in his sending his son into the world for us. For his son also had a name that God commanded he be given What was his name to be? The angel said, you shall name him Jesus. What does Jesus' name mean? Jesus' name means Yahweh saves or Yahweh to the rescue. So the big version of it there would be, who is Jesus? Jesus is the self-existent God who is with us, who is for us, and has come to rescue us. That is who Jesus is, the ultimate expression of who God is, the great and mighty God who is with us and for us and who has come to rescue us, not just from slavery in Egypt, but from our sins, from punishment, from death, from hell. This is why he came, and he came and entered into a covenant with us through his blood shed on the cross that we might be in relationship relationship with the God of heaven and earth, to have our sins forgiven, and to know this great God. And when you get all of this in your head, okay, God is creator. He is not just a powerful God, and he's not against us. He's with us and for us. He sent his son to die for us. Now there's a sense of joy, of adoration, of gladness, of awe that then begins to control every single part of your life. And when you get that, Now you're on the path to wisdom. Now you're ready to learn how to be wise, 
to live rightly before God and before everyone else, to understand yourself, how to be wise with who you are, and how to be wise in the world in which we find ourselves. Do you want to learn wisdom? Then this day, this moment, you need to do an about-face. The biblical word is repentance, which means to take a U-turn. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were deceived. For the serpent said, if you want to be wise, then go against God and become your own gods. They turned away from God and followed the lie of the serpent. And all of us ever since have followed this lie that we can be wise in our own eyes. But how's that working out for us? Not so well. Rather now, the decision for us is, will we follow the way of the serpent, the lie of the serpent, which is be wise in your own eyes. You decide what's right and wrong. You decide how to live your life. Or will we do a U-turn and say, I'm going to go a different direction. I'm not going to follow that way. I am going to follow the way of Jesus and come before Jesus and just simply say to him, Jesus, forgive me for trying to be wise in my own eyes. Teach me true wisdom. Teach me how to live for you, and most of all, make sure you're in relationship with him. Will you follow the way of the serpent and seek to be wise on your own? Proverbs 1, 7 says this is the way of the fool. Or will you just drop your pride, recognize that you're not really wise, and say, Jesus, you are ultimate reality. You are wisdom itself. Forgive my sins. Help me to be in relationship with you. Bring me into relationship with you and teach me wisdom. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, and we only grow further and deeper into it. If that's your heart today, then pray with me now. Pray these words, I'll pray them, but pray in your own heart. Father, forgive us for trying to be wise in our own eyes. Forgive us for living life on our own. Father, we confess we've only made a mess of our own lives, and we see this in our world right now when everyone is wise in their own eyes where that leads. Forgive us where we've done this personally and individually. And Father, thank you that you are the God who is with us and for us, that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us that our sins might be forgiven that we might be in relationship with you, that we might live rightly in reality. The reality that we live in, that we find ourselves in, teach us, O oh God, what it means to live rightly, to live wisely. Enable us to do that. So Father, we say at the beginning of this series, we are beginners, we are novices. Teach us what it means to be wise. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Get your things prepared for the Lord's Supper. And we'll sing a song now in preparation, and then we'll celebrate the supper together.